This audio recording is of Christmas Day 2017 at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The reader is Mark Haxo. The speaker is Sam Ford. More information can be found at rdchurch.com. Scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here and of preaching today. And some of you are thinking, gosh, haven't we been in the book of Isaiah? We'll get there. Don't worry. I'm going to hopefully connect a lot of pieces to this one story that uh, was foretold in Isaiah. But if you pray with me, we'll ask the Lord to move me out of the way so I don't screw it up. Father God, we just praise You for what You have done for us through Your Son, Jesus. We have done nothing. We deserve nothing. And yet You have given us everything. So thank You for loving us. Lord, I pray that this morning You will Just move me out of the way. Holy Spirit, you will speak the words that need to be spoken. Words of encouragement, words of instruction, words of conviction, words of comfort, whatever we need. But if you would, please, quiet the noise that is somewhat of the chaotic Christmas season and help us in this time together hear you speak to us mightily. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as I said, we spent the last three weeks kind of examining a few of the more than 30 prophecies in a really old book called Isaiah. And these prophecies pointed to Jesus' first arrival. If you remember, Isaiah 7 predicted that a child who is God, God with us, would be born. Isaiah 9 predicted that a child who would be called the Prince of Peace would be born. Last week we saw Isaiah 11 predict a child who would be the anointed king, 
would be born. This anointed one, literally the Messiah, was foretold to be the one who would save men from their sins, who would make peace with God, who would set the world right again. And so 700 years later, in a small town, in the hill country of a little area called Judah, an angel appeared to an engaged teenage virgin named Mary. And the angel says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, what? You're going to have a baby. And you're going to name him Jesus. And he's going to be the Son of God. And he's going to be a great king over a kingdom that will never end. And days later, an angel appeared to her frightened and now incredibly confused fiancé named Joseph as he's planning to leave Mary because of the bad news that Mary has told him. And the angel tells Joseph, don't be scared. Mary's going to have a baby. Yeah, I know that. But God did this. Call His name Jesus. And He is going to save His people from their sins. And nine months later, from that point, give or take, a few days, we have the first Christmas where Jesus is born under a star in a stable in a little town called Bethlehem. The birthplace of David the King. city of David the King. So, Luke 2, which Mark just read, records that night. That night that the Messiah was born. It's not myth. It's not legend. It's history. You heard history of what actually happened that night in Bethlehem. And to color it in a little bit, you need to understand kind of what history is going on. At this time, it's ruled by the Roman Empire and its first official emperor named Octavian. He's the grandnephew of the, or the adopted son and grandnephew of the great general and statesman whom I'm sure you've heard of, Julius Caesar, who, maybe you didn't know, after he died, the Senate deified him and named him Divine Julius, basically calling him God which was confirmed about the same time by a comet that appeared in the sky. Oh, he must be divine. Look, there's a big star in the sky. Interesting history. It gets even better. Octavian decided to take the title Caesar Augustus, meaning son of divine Julius, basically giving himself the title son of God. And after bringing peace to a pretty chaotic world through violence and domination, the Roman Senate gave him another title, title, which was Princess Passus, or Prince of Peace. And these particular words, which I'll read, were found chiseled in an old government building of ancient Rome, which said this, and I paraphrase it a little bit, but it's pretty accurate. Augustus, 
who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior, has put an end to war, has set all things in order, and having become God, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of our God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. Which in Greek is gospel. So Jesus was born at a time when Augustus decided to kind of use or co-op the word gospel to describe his new world order. That's crazy, I know. And awesome. So you'd expect the arrival of the true Son of God, the true Prince of Peace, the true one and only King to be full of all kinds of fanfare like, no way, here I am, I'm the real king, hold on there, Augie, I don't think so. But the first announcements made almost secretly to anonymous shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. And for the most part, if you know, shepherds were not really um, looked upon kindly, they were kind of pariahs in society, they held the lowest of social statuses, and they were shunned by the rich and the powerful, and especially the religious, because they were considered unclean. Living with dirty sheep meant that they could not keep all the rules and the regulations of the rabbis, so they didn't even accept their testimony in court. But these shepherds are the ones who heard the announcement of the king first. Because these shepherds represent the spiritually poor sinners that Jesus came for. Now, very few of us want to identify with those who are poor in life or spirit. But, As you read the Bible, you begin to see that those who are poor in life and in spirit are the only kinds of people Jesus saves and those to whom His kingdom belongs. As much as we don't want to be part of that group, part of that outcast, that marginalized people, those are the people whom God seeks out to save. God doesn't call the rich and the powerful, the mighty or the clean. He calls the poor, the lowly and the dirty, those who know they actually need to be saved. So when the angel appears, he says some interesting things to these outcasts. Every time an angel shows up, it's interesting they tell him not to be scared. Mary was told, don't be scared. Joseph was told, don't be scared these pretty studly manly shepherds out in the fields are told, don't be scared, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And many of us say, yes, I've heard this story many times. But can we imagine that news to these Jewish shepherds who have been waiting for such news for 700 years? What was being said was not lost on them, though it might be lost 
on us, unless you listen to the last couple sermons, which you can download on rdchurch.com. And then you can catch up and really appreciate what I'm about to say. All right, the angel comes under this time period within this Jewish cultural context and says, good news. That's what Augustus is saying. That's what Isaiah has said. Good news. A new world order has begun. A gospel has been proclaimed. But, you know, good news really can't be good unless you know that there is bad news. That's what makes good news good. Like, it doesn't take much of a glance at our culture, a glance at our homes and our neighborhoods, a glance at our dinner tables during Christmas with all the weirdness and conflict, or maybe just the kids in our own home, or maybe just the quietness of our own heart, that things are maybe a little messed up. That things are not as they are supposed to be. That it doesn't take much to look around and find bad news. Bad news in the world, bad news in my home, bad news in my heart. Like, things are not as they should be, and I don't maybe think I am as I should be. Like, you think about the coming King, the, the coming Savior. Like, if Jesus is coming to reestablish His rule, there must be something in rebellion. If, if Jesus is coming to heal, there, there must be something that's hurting. If Jesus is coming to restore, there must be something that's broken. If Jesus is coming to rescue, there must be something to be rescued from. See, the good news is not just that a baby was born. That's good news. That's rad news. Awesome news. And lots of people are having that news in this church all the time. It's weird. But it's not just a baby. Oh, baby. I'm sure Jesus was a cute baby. Maybe not. He wasn't supposed to be that impressive. Maybe he's a real ugly baby, right? But no one ever says that. But let's say it. He's an ugly baby. So it's not just it's a baby. It's that it's the baby. It's the Isaiah baby. What's that mean? I'll tell you. Jesus would make the connection to himself 30 years later. But it's only two chapters away from where we're at. We read in Luke 2, if you turn over to Luke 4, that's like 30 years, right? Boom! Wait, you're 30 now? What happened? Lots of stuff. They don't tell us, okay? But he's 30, and Jesus is baptized, anointed by the Holy Spirit in this, this amazing scene. And he goes out into the wilderness, right? And he's tempted. And unlike Israel in the Old Testament that failed in the wilderness, Jesus succeeds, and then he returns home. Home is this armpit of Galilee called Nazareth. And he goes into the synagogue on Sabbath day, which is what he did every Sabbath. Did you know you can go to that synagogue today in Israel? Where it was? How awesome would that be? That's a side note. Got to get to Israel. He goes to the synagogue, and when he is asked to read the assigned scroll, Jesus, son of Joseph, would you come up and read the scroll, please? 
It just happens to be the prophet Isaiah. This happens to be Isaiah 61. And so Jesus opens this scroll, and this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's just been baptized, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, which is the same thing Isaiah 11 said, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That sounds familiar. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, dropped the mic, and sat down. Why do I say drop the mic? Because here's what he said next. And the eyes of all in the synagogue, they were all looking at him. And they began to say, Oh, and he began to say to them, imagine this. Today the Scripture is fulfilled. And they're like, what? And later they'd be like, wait, wait isn't, this, isn't this Joe's son? And then they would try to kill Jesus and show him up a cliff, and he kind of just magically gets away from them. The Scripture's fulfilled. Which one? Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to proclaim good news and do all these things. He, he echoes and He elaborates on what the angel said on His birthday. He says, I'm here to proclaim good news to the poor. That's not those who are monetarily impoverished. That's those who are hurting from sin. Those who live in the darkness of sin. Those who are imprisoned by their sin or oppressed by the sins of others. The good news is a proclamation of a new and changed condition because a new king has come to town and he is doing something about sin. He said, This has been fulfilled. Jesus said, in essence, I am here to proclaim release to the captives, release to the prisoners, release to those captivated by sin and those who are rebellious, pursuing their sin. I have come to proclaim restoration to the broken. He says, giving sight to the blind. I'm here to proclaim relief to those who are oppressed. And so when I think of sin, I kind of think of three different ways that it affects us because that's really what he's talking about. He said, look, I've come to fix what's wrong with this world. And I tell you, what's wrong with this world is not, oh, we're not educated enough or we don't share our stuff enough or there's too many, like too much. It's sin. It's rebellion. But when I think of sin, there is that peace, there's the rebellion, there's the things that I'm not supposed to do that I do. The bad things I choose to do. Jesus came to deal with that. But then there's the things that I know I should do that I don't. Jesus came to deal with that. And then there are the things that I try to do that still fall short. He came to deal with our guilt. 
He came to deal with our shame and our brokenness, and he came to deal with our failure. All of it. That's stinking good news. I don't know about you, but I'll be the honest one in the room. I'm guilty. I've sinned many times. I have hurt people. I have hurt myself. Jesus has come to deal with my guilt. I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm blind. Jesus has come to heal those, what I think are scars, and they're just wounds that he wants to take care of. And then my failure, like, and you go, what do you mean my failure? Like, those moments, like, you realize that, like, the best love that you can muster, and it seems like it's easy to love your kids during this time, right? During the Christmas season, it's easy. But you realize that the best that you can love them still falls short of the love that is required. Your best is just still missing the mark. All this stuff, my guilt and my shame. And then if you read back in Isaiah 61, and I'll just quote it for you, it, it even says more. It says the good news is coming to comfort those who mourn. It's coming to make beauty out of ashes. Let's be honest, some of us are looking at our lives and and whether it be past or present, we go, man, it looks like ash. And the Lord says, I'm going to make that beautiful. He says, I'm going to bring gladness where there is only sadness. I'm going to produce praise where there's only weeping. I'm going to transform a people who are little more than weeds of unrighteousness and make them into oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord. This is incredible. Do you realize that when the good news comes, Jesus doesn't say, hey, let me tell you the five steps on how to make yourself good. Let me tell you the seven ways to make sure that you're a good person, a good parent, a good husband, a good wife. No, he says, I'm going to go and make you an oak of righteousness. I'm going to do it. Do you realize in the good news that's proclaimed, the only thing that's proclaimed is what Jesus is going to do, not what I need to do. There's only one thing I need to do, and that is believe Him. Believe Him. This news to be reported, right? It's news to be reported. This is what's happened. It's not advice to be followed. It's not about us and what we have to do, but it's about what a loving God has done to give us an immovable hope, one that can't be taken away even in death. To give us an all-encompassing peace, which is the very thing everyone is pursuing as they pursue all. I just want contentment and peace. I know. You'll find it in Jesus, not in that stuff. And an abiding joy that is not based on circumstances, right? He says, look, your identity and your destiny is based on what Jesus is going to do, not what you will. So the, the shepherds, as much as it's difficult to understand, like they're hearing all of this. They're hearing the echoes of Isaiah. They're in the context of, of what the world has said, like, oh, I got good news for you. 
I'll save you. I'll fix you. I'm the king. I can bring peace. Like, wait, didn't they say there was going to be a true son who comes and a true king and a true prince of peace? Yeah, and they hear it. You look at verse 15 in Luke chapter 2. It says, When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go! Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Right? They're, they're compelled by the desire to see a baby, which if they were ladies, we'd understand that. But they're not. You're like, what? Because it's not just any baby. It's the baby, the Savior, the King. That's what the angels said. Right? It wasn't like, hey, there's a baby born. Go look at him. He, it's, there's a king that was born. There's a savior that was born. And by the way, it's the baby. So they leave with haste, rushing to Bethlehem like we might to Walmart on Black Friday. Just running, going, leaving their sheep. They'll be okay. Running. Not because they were commanded to, mind you. They're compelled to. And I think it's beautiful as just a little side note that they're compelled to because they had a community of people together and they experienced God's Word together and they drop everything and they go find Jesus together. And they walk into town. Can you imagine that scene going from stable to stable? Because it wasn't told exactly. Like, where's this? Okay, we'll go see a star. We'll see a baby. Where? You guys seen a baby? No. It's in a manger, in a stable. So they're going from stable to stable. Hey, we're looking for a baby. He's born in a feeding trough. Like, what are you guys, drinking? Like, seriously? But they keep going, they keep going. And then you notice when they show up, it's not like, oh, there's the baby, let's go on. Check box, I see him, cool. It says in verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the same that had been told to them concerning the child. What did they do? Hey, you know that baby you got there? He's the Savior. He's the King. Like these dirty, unwanted, underprivileged, uneducated shepherds became the first preachers for the King. Man, what excuses do we make not to tell people about the King? I don't know enough. These guys didn't know squat up. There's the King. There's the Savior. And they preached their first sermon. And what did they say? There's hope in Jesus. There, there's peace in Jesus. There's salvation in Jesus. Do you realize like that was, that was proclaimed 2,000 years ago? And we sit here in 2017 telling the same message again. Someone in my life, and maybe this is your story, and maybe I'm in your story now, but someone in my life came and preached Jesus as Savior to me. Someone said, Jesus is here to deal with your guilt and the things that you have done wrong, and here is to forgive you. Jesus was told to me as He is the one bringing the peace that you are looking for so desperately and all this other stuff. Someone came and told me that Jesus was my Savior because they were compelled to tell it. For 2,000 years, people have been compelled to tell this news. 
Because it stirs you. And the truth is, if it doesn't stir you, and I'm talking to the Christian. So if you're not a Christian, and someone hasn't told you about Jesus, I'm sorry. Christian, if the news of Jesus as Savior and Lord, as forgiver of sins, as hope in life and death doesn't stir you, you have forgotten either the badness of the bad news or the goodness of the good news. You've forgotten. The angel said, look, this is news of great joy. This is supposed to bring joy. Like We don't just celebrate a season of joy. We get all joyful at Christmas, and that's rad. But what about December 26th? We don't just celebrate a season of joy. It's a lifetime of joy. And I'm not sure joy describes Christians that well. Tell me what a Christian's like. Oh, they're joyful. The most joyful lot I've ever met. I don't know, but, but think about this. Like if the good news is true, if you are a prisoner that has been set free, why would you ever stand in the jail cell with the door open? Why? Or if you are a blind man, like if that's true, like I, I once was blind, but now I see, why would you ever walk around with your eyes closed? If you are a dirty outcast who has been made clean, why would you keep taking a bath in a pool of toilet water? Why? Jesus didn't just come to proclaim good news, right? The good news was in many ways proclaimed about He is the good news. Like, He was the one who was imprisoned for you so you could live free. He was the one who was wounded so that you could be healed. He was the one who was condemned to death so you could be saved and live with Him eternally. Like, that's good news. And its proclamation and the sharing of it is not the result of a command. It is in many ways the completion of joy. That's what C.S. Lewis says. Like, we praise what Jesus did, not because like, oh, dutifully, we're supposed to do this. We do it because that's what happens. When we watch the Seahawks today and we're all excited as they win, well, let's hope for the best, right? But it's not like when that happens and something goes amazing, we're going to go, wow, we should probably clap now, don't you think, guys? Because that was really well done, right? You just are excited because your joy is complete. And the completion of a joy, you say, yeah! What about the gospel? The good news that's been told to you, and as you dwell on that news, you go, yeah! But if we're not careful, because when you first hear the news, right, the first time, it's joyful. If you're not careful, that joy passes as fast as Christmas does. As we close, if you look at verse 18, it says the shepherds preached, right? Right after they preached, verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. What? This is the Savior, the King. They're just like, that's crazy. You saw these angels in the fields? Like, well, that's crazy. But look at verse 19. But Mary. So it's contrasting with what everyone else did. Kind of like, oh, 
Crazy story. Shepherds, right? Around the sheep too much. He says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. See, like Mary, if, if we desire lasting change, lasting joy, genuine transformation, the good news of Jesus must become our treasure. The truth of the Gospel must go deeply into our hearts so that when great fear comes, when great guilt comes, when great shame comes and overwhelms us, the great joy of the Gospel overwhelms it. Like when you start to feel guilty, but I'm forgiven in Jesus. When you start to feel oppressed, I know that I'm free. When you realize how weak you are, you say, I know that I'm loved and I'm healed. It doesn't take long because of all the bad news we tend to hear these days. To get low. And that's why we have to preach the good news to ourselves every day. After they have their miraculous moment, the shepherds quickly return to real life. Verse 20, they return glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. That's important that they say that. It says, They didn't just report what they had seen. Catch that? This wasn't a report of like, hey, this amazing angel choir was there. It was, do you know what the angel told us? They talked about Jesus as Savior. They talked about Jesus as Lord. We can get so busy talking about all things Christian and not talk about Jesus. It doesn't take long for the good news to become old news if you're not preaching yourself the Gospel all the time, which is Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Lord, Jesus as forgiving, Jesus as loving, not just this amazing thing that God did that has nothing to do with Jesus. My hope is that God will open your eyes to see the glories of the Gospel and increase your enjoyment of Him again. And as He does, my prayer is that as we go back into the world as the outcasts that we are and proclaim love and grace and forgiveness and power of Jesus to save with all courage and without shame and do so after Christmas Eve and Christmas. Man, it seems like when we talk about the birth of Jesus on Christmas, the death of Jesus on Easter, and His resurrection, what about the 363 other days? If you are not a Christian, if you are not a believer and follower of Jesus, let me tell you, there is one name given under heaven through which men may be saved, and that's Jesus. And He came here not to tell you what you have to do to make Him like you. He came here and said, I love you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to save you. If you just believe, and for those who are Christians, I pray that you will take advantage of the opportunity you have during this season 
and as you gather together with your family and friends, that you will actually say the name of Jesus. That you will remind them of who your Lord is, and you remind them of the news that you heard, and the news that you believed, and the news that as a mailman, you're called to share, not because you have to, but because you want to. Amen? Merry Christmas. Let's pray.